Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzber. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all, awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Dr. Katie and hearing a poem from Jake Wildhall. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode, where we'll be chatting about Amnion by Stephanie Sikir. And that will be out later this month. But first, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Well, we've definitely got one one shared experience we can talk about. We have had the, I believe, 10th Vogon Poetry Slam. It is an annual event. It's been running for 11 years because I am disorganised and my life is chaos. But the Vogon Poetry Slam is um, based, it's a giant, goofy, poetical, geekery in-joke. In Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Vogons are a race of aliens who write poetry so bad that it is used to torture people. And the Vogon Poetry Slam is therefore an anti-slam where the worst poet wins or where usually very good poets bring deliberately terrible personas and deliberately crafted terrible work mm-hmm. um and we have a kind of an annual lancing of the boil <laughs> where we get terrible things off our chests it happens on towel day the 25th of may which is a douglas adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy kind of memorial slash geek out geek pride day um and um we will have more information about it later. That will be available as the July episode of the podcast, so next month. Um, yeah. Because uh, our hosts have the temerity to be pissy next month, uh, completely fairly, they're getting married. Not to each not other, we should Not add. to each other, and only two of them. I've already done the <laughs> dance, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> that will be our July episode, so no spoilers, but um, it was awesome, and I am delighted. And yay. Um, it was a lot of fun and shout out to our audience as well for that and I'm hoping that some of them will have started listening to the podcast but they were just they incredible people from all over the world just really got into the spirit of the thing really had fun I think there were some people who were not necessarily regular kind of poetry audiences they really enjoyed it um yeah so they just really got into the fun of it and made it amazing and made it a really fun night the, the chat had me cackling <laughs> actually quite <laughs> frequently which I thought was fantastic and also extra bonus they actually donated and covered our costs for the zoom license and things Thank like that you. which was and and you know and which i think we, we made a 10 quid profit after we paid all our features and everything so thank you for that guys really appreciate it. that was a yeah. really nice bonus that we weren't we expecting. want to say a massive thank you for that because beforehand we found out that the zoom was going to be more expensive than we thought it was we were victims of our own success in terms of zoom licenses yeah literally it was too popular to be on the standard Zoom license, and so we had to up it, um, and we were all a bit um, not panicky about it going up, panic. but um, it, we we're also not funded <laughs> in any way. Um, so it's really nice to know that the people who came along thought it was worth um, paying the money. Not yeah, not just for the Zoom license, but for us to be able to pay our feature Tim Kylie as well. Mm. Um, and it uh, really means a lot to us. And if you're listening um, as a uh, new joiner from the Vogon Slam, welcome. Uh, it won't be quite so off the wall, um, but hopefully you'll enjoy um, listening and finding out a bit more about maybe what poetry is all about, because we like it. We think it's pretty cool. We do. 
Anything else, Hannah, in your month? The only other thing is I was I was delighted to be one of the support acts at the launch of Genderfucks, which is a poetry pamphlet co-produced oh, yeah. by Jem Henderson, Jonathan Kinsman and J.P. Seabright. And J.P. Mm. is someone who I heard, I think, the first time they ever read out poetry in a room was at something oh. late last year. And they are now producing events and Jem Henderson and Jonathan Kinsman both are poets who I had seen their names a lot and possibly even like yeah no I think I'd seen their names a lot but never actually seen them perform in person and it was just a delight and a very fun queer cabaret oh man I miss live events it was so nice it was such a such a warm fun I wish I'd known it was on I, if I'd have known I would have gone Jonathan Kinsman's great um really good writer and uh Runs Rig Welter, the um, journal as well, uh-huh. online. Very cool person. I like them a lot. Oh, amazing. One of those names that I've heard and I don't think ever really seen a performance live. And yeah, I need to do that. The, the poem Some Possible Genders is incredible. It just lists, it's got education, education, education as one of the possible genders and various other surreal wonders. I yes, <laughs> 100% recommend. You guys, what have you been up to? Um, my month, what's my month not to, uh, went to Process with Laurie, mm. which was great. So Process Open Mic, which Tyrone Lewis and Kayla Martel Feldman have started up together, which I hadn't quite realised, although I feel like everybody else had clued into this and I hadn't, is kind of a replacement for Boomerang. Like Boomerang is not coming back post-pandemic. Yeah. I had been sat there waiting for it. And then I had a bit of a conversation with, with Tyrone and with Jake and yeah, they're kind of saying, well you know people have wandered off and done other things everybody's got other events on obviously um bad betty's starting their own live events that's the publishers that jake runs with his amazing wife amy and yeah and like tyrone's doing process there's just you know everybody's got stuff on and it's probably just not coming back which um i don't know about you i feel like kind of ancient actually so i feel like i feel i've seen knights rise and fall mm. um like little worlds coming into existence uh and it, yeah it's just a very strange sensation yeah, yeah we were chatting afterwards weren't we? We, we there were the was the headliners were uh, antonia jake king and bethany down and bethany um doing really well at the minute and kind of arriving in london and kind of doing a lot of events very quickly and getting a lot of feature slots, which is fantastic. And we, and afterwards, just all of us chatting and being like, remember this night? No, it's gone now. Remember this one? No. Oh, well, you're never getting a chance now. Wow. <laughs> this is the thing. I think you guys Funny, have been around it? at the poetry scene that bit longer than I have. So I'm very used to you guys talking about nights that <laughs> now gone. And now you're um, in that space. Yeah, that space. and suddenly I'm doing it. And I mean, I think the pandemic has, has speeded that up. But, yes. you know, it's still, still a very strange experience. So I'm kind of a little moment of sadness for Boomerang because it was mm-hmm. a fantastic night. Uh, but obviously it lives on very much in process which is a lovely night with a great kind of um really nice venue in hackney down by the canals very nice walking back to the station sort of pretty lights in the water a few fairy lights not many bodies and there are loads <laughs> of fairy lights in that bar. um but yeah and yes. yeah and tyrone and kayla have just done a really good job making a lovely vibe um so that's really nice um, it was so nice seeing antonia j king do a 20 minute set for what will be the for me, the first time having seen that in what two, three years, Shoot. which is yeah, yeah. mad. Yeah, like, there yeah. was a time when you'd see AJ doing a set really regularly, and um, it's not because she's gone away in any sense, it's just things have changed and it's been harder to get out to live events. And 
yeah, it was just sitting there and having 20 minutes of one of my favorite poets doing a set of poems I know and ones I don't, but are exciting and new. Just like, this is comfort food. This mm. is exactly just, it's so nice to be in that space and having that again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, apart from that, um... oh, I won Genesis. Yeah, just hey! throw that in there. I've won Genesis since the last one of these. I forgot Ooh. that. I forgot that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was fun. I, I love Genesis, and yeah, so always nice to to um, do well there. Um, <laughs> you did so, do yeah. well. You won. It was great. I did. I did. And uh, yeah, I broke my streak. If normally, if someone comes to see me at Genesis, I go out in the first round. That's the rule. And somebody came to see me, and I won. So Ooh. that was that was good. So yeah, anything else from your months? Yeah, I've been watching a new series on Channel 4, a sitcom called Big Boys. Um, why am I bringing this up? Because it's written by Jack Rook, who is a fantastic spoken word uh, poet and performer and has been for many, many years one of the best writers that's come up from the spoken word scene or community in London and has gone on to write this new series. I think, Hannah, you've seen it as well, right? I have, I have. I, I'd spotted from Jack's social media that this was coming up, and I was really excited to see it. I was telling my other half, I want to see this because someone I know has written it. And we watched it, and half an episode in, first ad break, my other half's like, this is really fucking good. This isn't just your mate wrote it good. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I've noticed it's now the kind of title card on 4OD for at the moment, which is, yeah, it's it's really it getting is. a huge Ooh, push. Cool. Um, someone compared him to Phoebe Waller-Bridge in a review, like, it is... I've seen his solo show, so it kind of goes... It's quite it's autobiographical, and it goes over some similar yeah. territory, but done so differently with, you know, a whole cast rather than a one-person show. Um, and it's incredible. I... Yeah, it started out as group as good as good grief as solo show maybe five years ago now. I remember seeing it at the Roundhouse part of the Last Word Festival, and it's got it's the same basic story and kind of threads of it, and it's all autobiographical, but done done uh, like pushed into a sitcom mold that makes it hang together really well, and and it's very emotional and sad at times and clever at times and uh, always very very funny and um you know like as hannah said it's not i watched it with my partner as well and, and again had exactly the same comment of oh this isn't just your mate wrote it and therefore <laughs> we should watch it it's genuinely amazingly yeah. good really well written um television at a time that we need more and more of that <laughs> yeah. yeah amazing um yeah, it's fantastic. I can't oversell it enough. It's really, really worth watching. It's got, um, it stars, uh, his name's, I think, Dylan Llewellyn, who plays James in Derry Girls, um, is the main uh, character. A bunch um, of actors who I was like, oh, I saw them in that and He's I really great. liked them. Um, it's got someone from Stathletts. It's got someone who's turned up in, I think, Chewing Gum. It's got, yeah, a lot of actors who've been in other things that, are excellent and yeah um i oh man at some point i would love to do basically if you've not watched it yet you absolutely should yeah and we're taking credit for it sorry go on word scene (laughs) um yeah yeah, just 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 the um 
uh, at some point I would love to on on the like list of guests we would love to get and may well do we're, we're working our way through our wish list um, but yeah spoken word people who've then left the scene on account of how it's not that big of a scene Kay Tempest Michaela Cole started out mm. or it's certainly not financially sustaining for a lot of mm. people yeah yeah but I am absolutely delighted but also i hope he comes back for a headline tour at some point i'm absolutely so so happy for him um because it's one of the most well-deserved breaks in a long time um so that's really cool sounds good should we do an interview then let's do an interview this month's interview is with dr katie ailes Dr. Katie L's career focuses on spoken word poetry. She works as a researcher, a performer and an event programmer in the field. In 2020, she completed a PhD at the University of Strathclyde, focused on the performance and perception of authenticity in contemporary UK spoken word poetry. Her work has been published in Gutter, The Herald, A Year of Scottish Poems, Glasgow Women Poets and The House of Three series featuring Scotland-based female writers. She has performed across the UK with organisations including Stanza, the Glasgow Women's Library, Scottish Book Trust, the Centre for Poetic Innovation and Apples and Snakes. Since 2015, she has worked as a producer with the Scotland-based company I Am Loud Productions, also known as the Loud Poets, touring with them to festivals including the Edinburgh Fringe, Prague Fringe, Brighton Fringe and the Vault Festival London. She also works as an educator, both through university teaching and workshop facilitation and as a poetry editor. Katie, thank you very much for joining us. Would you be able to share a poem with our listeners? I absolutely could. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is this is such a delight. Uh, I think I'll start it off with this one. So I wrote this poem during the pandemic, I think quite close to the beginning when we were in the first lockdown. And um, it feels oddly relevant again now as the news has been quite grim lately. Um, and perhaps unexpectedly, due to that introduction, uh, the title is Joy. Joy. This morning, my flatmate came into the kitchen grinning, on the tip of his finger, a tiny ladybird. Walking to the supermarket, I saw dandelions mischievously hiccuping across the planned green space, interrupting the rigidly planted rows of daffodils. In your garden, an enormously fluffy tabby cat sauntered aloof through the grass, ridiculous in his dignity. And in the ice cream aisle of Asda, I suddenly deliciously realized I'd gone out without a bra. And through it all, I smiled, then instantly felt a pang of guilt yanking the corners of my mouth back down, a dour voice chastising, there are people dying, we are in crisis, this is no time for joy. And I think of the cacti on my windowsill how I need to rotate them weekly because they bend so stubbornly towards the sun that their spines grow scoliotic, curved, and weak. And I wonder when, in our desperate attempts to survive, we hurt our ability to stay alive. Thanks very much. It, it felt it felt like a poem that needed. It's been a it's been a grim week oh. in the news, so I felt like <laughs> yeah. 
we all needed some ridiculous cats in our lives. Uh, <laughs> so we always like to start by asking our guests how you first got into poetry. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a funny one for me, I guess, because I, I think everyone everyone always has such interesting stories of how they got into poetry. But I feel like mine's a bit mundane in that I, I was always just a little writer nerd kid. I loved poetry <laughs> from when I was really little. Um, and so I loved writing it and I loved reading it and, and I was always really invested in it. And then in high school, I became a big Plath head. I, I read everything Sylvia Plath had ever written and, you know, did this independent study on her and on poetry and all this stuff. Um, but I, I was never, I'd never really heard of spoken word and I wasn't doing that. And that didn't come until um, until I first came to the UK, actually. Um, I studied abroad in Edinburgh and went to a couple of open mics and went to a slam. Um, this was when I was about uh, 20, when I was I was in uni in the States. And I, I went to these open mics and, and these slams and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just <laughs> a whole new level. Like, what do you mean you can do poetry out loud and some people have it memorized and they are just, they're gesturing and they're using their whole bodies and this is amazing. Um, so that's when I really fell in love with it and um, started started writing for the stage as well as, as for the page. Um, and then... Yeah, as soon as I finished uni in the States, I, I got to Scotland as, as soon as I could and just started doing poetry over here. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the condensed version. Yeah. Cool. What were the, uh, you mentioned being a little nerdy, nerdy poetry kid. Were there any, any uh, <laughs> poets that really stuck out to you at that point in time, like really early on? I mean, when I was little, I, I just remember so much Shel Silverstein. Uh -huh. um, I, is he? I don't know if he if he's as big in the UK as he is in in the States. I, I've heard of him, but only in that is really big deal in the States, but not yeah. like nothing here. I don't know why. Really wonderful, funny, irreverent. Yeah, Hannah, had you heard of of Shel Silverstein? So my mom is a New York transplant, so Uncle Shelby's ABC book and yep. a few other things like that were like yeah key texts yep. of my childhood but that was very much the brought over because yeah because my mom's from the states um the giving mm. tree is i think one of the better known ones in the uk but that's not saying yes. a lot at all it's funny that the giving tree is wonderful with a very dark ending um <laughs> which i i feel like if you read that book as an adult it, it has an entirely different meaning um but no shell silverstein where the sidewalk ends um was a big one when i was little and um i was lucky to have some some really good teachers when i was growing up who who taught me a lot about the arts um I'm terrible at math, can't do math whatsoever, but but loved a poem, so I'm grateful for that. For sure. And you've gone on to do a PhD in performance poetry and what was what is it in full? It's got a full grandiose title that I'm forgetting. You have to have a grandiose title for a PhD, I feel like. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? It has to have at least one colon in there. Uh, yeah, it, it's um, the the performance and perception of authenticity in contemporary UK spoken word poetry. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I did that. I finished that in 2020. And um, 
I was sort of looking at, at um, realness and the idea of sort of honesty and genuineness and, and presence in spoken word and um, how poets perform it and also how it's perceived. Um, I got very, very curious about all dimensions around that. Yeah. Interesting. So can you tell us a little bit of, as a kind of condensed version what you found out, if anything, or what what you think was interesting from yeah. it? Am I right in thinking that it was kind of inspired by that piece that appeared in the PN Review? That was. <laughs> am I right? I, I feel like I've heard that that was what made you just go, "No, I'm going to do this." You're not. Um, you're not wrong. So it's funny because that that piece, I think that came out in in 2018 or um or slightly before. I can't remember. So it came out when I was already doing the PhD, but it was that kind of work that had inspired it and and <laughs> seeing that review gave me the the guts and the kick up the butt to keep going with it um <laughs> so for for any listeners who who don't know what we're talking about and I'd imagine everyone <laughs> who listens to this podcast probably was we we were talking a bit before the show um it's the Rebecca Watts review of Holly McNish's piece oh, um yes. which is deeply offensive on so many levels I mean we make <laughs> jokes about it but like it was a horrendous piece of writing that aside from everything that you can say about how it it you know was rude to spoken word artists it was just ableist and just awful um in any case um yeah it what what basically sparked the PhD was seeing a lot of different reviews of spoken word and and sort of um descriptions of spoken word poets in academic texts and, and in the media and other places, which described spoken word poetry as really honest and heartfelt and genuine and authentic. Um, and to a certain extent, right, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And often that's kind of what we're going for as performers. You know, you want to make that connection with the audience and you want your work to come across as, you know, real in whatever way. But the sort of side effect of that is um, when we look at the word art, part of that is also the word artifice, mm -hmm. right? The mm -hmm. idea of art implies craft. It implies that you have maybe taken something real and you've amended it, you've changed it, you've put craft into it. And so these reviews of spoken word, a lot of them were um, quite either quite negative or quite patronizing in saying, well, you're just kind of putting out your diary, aren't you? You're just kind of mm. speaking off the cuff. You're just getting emotional. You're just crying in front of an audience. And really, there's no art there. Whereas page poets, oh, that's, that's art, that. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I was noticing that and then also noticing how this was seriously compounded for people of color who are doing spoken word, how it was compounded for women, how it was compounded for people with disabilities. And so I wanted to dig into that and look at why specifically spoken word poetry um, and what the, the politics and some of the sociology behind uh, the reason why people of marginalized demographics were were kind of getting hit harder with that. So that that's what kicked it off. Um, a lot a lot of anger, <laughs> really, and frustration, <laughs> and um, wanting as well as a poet to say like, look, there's work that goes into this. There's craft that goes into this. Can we maybe start recognizing that and come to a different way of criticizing spoken word that actually sees it as an art form? So yeah. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and did the did your expectations going into your PhD kind of align with your conclusions coming out of it? What did you summarize your PhD, please? For <laughs> summarize, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you whack down 130,000 words into five? No. Um, yeah, I mean, mo more or less. Basically, there there were a, a bunch of different conclusions, a bunch of different things that came out of it. But um, probably what I'm what I'm proudest of that I did is I, I did this massive interview project, which Hannah actually, <laughs> I, I had the joy of interviewing Hannah as part of it. Um, and I asked folks a bunch of different questions about their craft and specifically about um, the the line between sort of reality and and performance, mm -hmm. the, the line between reality and art. So like one of the questions was when you're performing on stage, do you feel like you adopt a persona mm -hmm. for that? Or do you feel like you're, quote unquote, you when you're on stage, which is such a nightmare of a question to answer <laughs> um, and everyone there was such a range of answers to it which was fascinating um but overall to to boil it down i mean yeah it, it did essentially align with what i expected which is that you know for performers there is a lot of craft put into it but also there's a lot of work to develop on stage personas even though you're often using your own name there's a level of um adding on a filter, even if that's, you know, to protect yourself. Mm. If you're getting up there and performing material about trauma, sometimes it can be easier to sort of not be emotionally present when you're on stage, for instance. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot about, about poets who have different distancing techniques. Um, and then also around sort of areas of marginality. Um, there is such a long tradition of people associating marginalized identities with authenticity, um, mm -hmm. usually in a very, very bad way. Um, a, a sort of mainstream example or, or perhaps more obvious example is um, blackness being associated with coolness, right? Uh, you know, this that person's so cool quote unquote urban quote unquote mm. you know hip I'm using very very heavy um, quotes inverted commas around all of these um, but that ultimately is really rooted in some deeply problematic ideas around people of color being quote unquote authentic mm. which is also quote unquote raw or real or childish or uneducated and it all really boils down to some deeply problematic stuff so um, so uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of anger looking at a lot of this and, and a lot of my conclusions were simply, look, if you're a critic, um, of spoken word, you need to take these politics into account. And rather than just, for instance, going to a Holly McNish show and saying, she's just doing a diary piece, there's no art in this, um, or saying that about K Tempest mm. or George the Poet or anyone, uh, rather than doing that, maybe have a think about the history of the art form and, and um, all of the craft that goes into it and approach it more like you would a theater show um, or a, a written poetry collection. So, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that wasn't too wordy. <laughs> no, it was a good answer. 
<laughs> as always, our, our conversation goes back to diary entries as poetry and and jagged little pill. Yeah. That's 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 all we ever come back to on this show, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, that record's great. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, nothing against diary entries. <laughs> the other thing, yeah, that that makes me think of is how. You're right about this um, idea of you're not necessarily putting on a persona, but the way that you interact with the audience is different to how, say, you might interact, I don't know, in a job interview or with an employer or with your family or with your pet. Like, we're yeah. always changing yep. Yep. the way we speak and the way we act for different groups of people. And being on stage isn't any less or more true necessarily because of that or authentic necessarily mm. because of that yeah i mean the entire act of performing is inauthentic i mean you can take the you know the the construct that we are constantly performing and we we have different yeah faces in different contexts um but yeah i mean when you're on on stage in front of a bunch of people you're not going to be the same as you are with your gram like <laughs> <Exactly>. that's <laughs> obviously not um but it's, it's interesting as well and yeah, one thing that that I found quite fascinating, there are good things about, you know, having a level of, of openness and, and sort of intimacy with the audience. I think, you know, we've all been to nights where you're performing and, and you feel this real kinship and that's incredible mm -hmm. and absolutely something that a lot of people try to curate. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's sort of the other side where if the audience is assuming that everything that you're saying is true and that you, you know, you by standing on that stage and divulging certain information that might be about your life, it might be autobiographical, it might not be, but they can sometimes take that as an invitation to engage out with the parameters of the show. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like if you have a poem about the death of a parent and you do that on stage, and then an audience member comes after you, comes up to you after and says, oh, my God, thank you for performing that. My mom just died. Let me tell you yeah. all about it. Blah, 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 blah. That can be a really heavy position to be in. Um, mm. And that's not that's not judging that audience member. That's not saying they shouldn't. You know, it's a more complicated conversation. But I think there's something in spoken word um, where there's that sort of immediate assumption of truth, of authenticity. Mm. Um, and also a, a paired idea that the audience has because you gave them access to that one thing or because they think you did, mm -hmm. they then have access to a lot of other stuff, which on one level can just be, OK, I want to have this conversation with you on another level can lead to some predatory not so great stuff. Yeah. Um, not, not naming any specific. You know, it's kind of a parasocial yeah, it's a yes. sort of parasocial relationship in a very direct way because that does happen exactly. with things like podcasts, with with things like music. Yeah. But when you're literally there on stage and you are having a chat at the bar because that's part of it, yeah, it's, it's it's suddenly the lines are much blurrier. Not naming any yes. specific promoters, but um, the specific promoter that me, Hannah, and Rebecca are all thinking of, who when uh, when at a night shouts, "Please do the poem about your dead your dead parent," is maybe <gasps> uh, not. Uh, mm -hmm. within the bounds of what is acceptable oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's that it's that element of agency right of you know i do some nights and i i want to perform the poems about trauma and mm -hmm. I, I i feel it safe to share that and in other nights you might not feel safe to share that and that that is up to you how much you let the audience into um 
Yeah. So it it's it's so thorny, mm. isn't it? And it one thing I really worked on with the PhD was to try not to, you know, I found all this interesting stuff, but you don't want to put any of that on the audience or judge them when they've come to, mm. you know, form a connection or, or feel mm. represented on on stage or all of these other things. I think it's really, you know, look looking inwards and looking at sort of ourselves and and how we frame poetry and also putting a lot of it on the critics and the academics mm. and and seeing how they talk about it um and how we can maybe encourage some safer yeah. <laughs> attitudes and spaces and and levels of access it's really. interesting how we make those assumptions about performance poetry like when you read a novel you don't you're not yeah. assuming this is 100% true or authentic in the Agatha same Christie way. killed so um, many people. Agatha Christie just, oh my God. <laughs> she was always doing it and then always solving those murders, which was very, very spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was at a night a couple of weeks ago where a guy sort of did this poem about his partner dying and then kind of at the end sort of said, oh no, none of that was true. Yeah. And I was a bit like, I don't know how Ooh. I feel about that because you're right, I don't necessarily think that you know, all poems should be, you know, you could only write poems about your own experiences. Like that's, that's a very weird thing to say. And I think it gets into all kinds of like messy kind of narrowing sort of diminishing sort of talk. But at the same time, like I was like, I kind of feel like maybe I needed some kind of framing device. Like I do write poems mm. about other people's stories, but I usually have some kind of framing device that kind of makes you go, this isn't, this isn't literally me speaking, but yeah, I don't know how I feel about that yeah. and whether he should have done that. I like, yeah, very odd. Mike Fetch was, I once did a, it was some kind of competition and we'd had to like, so it was an old poem that I'd sent for this competition, but in any case, that would have at least been like three months elapsed between the deadline and this event where people who were shortlisted were asked to read their poem and then someone was told they got the award and stuff. And I'd had a poem about, that moment where in a relationship where you're not quite saying I love you but you're kind of like teasing it and seeing if if the other person's receptive and it was an old poem as it was but in any case it would have been at least three months if even if I'd written it the last day of the submissions and some other dude who was also performing with a poem all about how we should seize the day came up to me at the interval and gave me the love life advice that I needed to see to seize the day <laughs> <laughs> You you know that's at least yeah. three months old. <laughs> yeah. And you've decided that yeah. the moral is your poem. It's, Great, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's particularly precious. Yeah. It's it's such a funny one, Rebecca, actually, because like I, I have a case study in there about um, someone who was doing a poem, a, a, a similar thing about a trauma that occurred to a loved one that didn't actually occur. And I talked to the poet about it and they were saying how, you know, it felt emotionally authentic. It was about a fear mm. of that trauma happening to that person, but it hadn't happened in reality, right? Um, it was fascinating to think about and, and they no longer do that piece because they feel more ethically conflicted about it. But one thing and I, I will say this with a caveat that it is a bit of a half-baked <laughs> theory and I would need more research to support it. But one thing that I did notice, I, I was talking about um, the the sort of increased perception of authenticity within marginalized people. I have noticed that often um, cis white men feel a bit more freedom to... Um, fictionalize narratives within poetry and again I say this without any judgment it, it's just an observation 
um, because it feels more like a performance art, like theater or like writing a creative monologue. Whereas for people of marginalized identities, they often feel more of a burden to be authentic, to be realistic, maybe due to some subconscious perception that they will be perceived more as such. Um, again, this is a bit half-baked, but I did, I did, you know, when you look at the U.S., so much of spoken word there is dominated by people of marginalized identities. It is a protest form. It is about activism. It is so politically rooted, whereas many of the origins in the U.K. are more you know, uh, cabaret poetry, comedy poetry, you know, Mm. this, this more comedic and and more theatrical element. Um, So you kind of get an interesting mishmash here where you get people who are maybe of the, the cabaret tradition who are doing what, what was always done. And then you get the more American style, which is so real and, and in your face in that way and the idea of fabricating a narrative would be mm-hmm. absolutely ethically not okay so i think here you get a very interesting meld um and people mm. with different identities using the art form in different ways um which when they clash can get really ethically funky um <laughs> to to you know put it in the academic terms of yeah. course um, technical term, <laughs> technical terms yeah but no it's it's absolutely fascinating and again i will reiterate all of this without judgment because you know it's i love poetry that relies on fiction mm. and that is fantasy and and all of this and i think you should absolutely do that but I also love the activist stuff and and poetry that relies on the realism. And I think that there has to be a space for both of it. Yeah. it it's just everyone understanding each other's art form and, and the reasoning behind it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And mm. was it did you ever find it kind of difficult kind of being a researcher in a scene where you're also a participant? Was there like a danger of like interfering with the penguins, you know? <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, it, I was gonna say you—you you sound like my examiner. I had to write about fifty pages about this. Just like explain your methodology and internal and external validity. Yeah, it, because it is so complex, and and as well, you know, not just being a poet in the scene, but also someone who at that point and still now was booking poets mm. for various opportunities. You know, it it is really really complicated. Um, so, I mean, there was that. There was the relationships that I had with poets and, and trying not to let that affect who I selected for the study. I mean, it inevitably does. You, you know, talk to the people you know, you reach out to the people you don't, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, and you may have had an interesting conversation down the pub with them where you're like, oh, actually, that would feed in. Yes. Yeah. And you say that. Exactly. Anecdotal exactly. evidence. <laughs> Anecdotal. Yeah, but it all informs it, doesn't it? And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the interviews so that I would at least have some of that on record rather than just the whole <laughs> PhD being like, I'm a, I'm a sight my pal down the pub yeah. who said this. Yeah, my mate said this. No, and uh, I think you'll find it was qualitative data by the time that it's officially yeah. edited. <laughs> so much qualitative data, Laurie. So much qualitative data. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that was fascinating. And, like, also the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a poet as well. So I came into it with my own practice and my own assumptions um, about, you know, what what I do and what other people do. So for example, like I'm, I'm a dancer um, and I'm, I love using movement in my work. And so I tend to 
choreograph my poems when I'm memorizing them. Uh, like I, I choreograph hand gestures mm. and everything, and that helps me memorize my poems. Um, it's funny, we've got a camera going so these guys can see what I'm doing and I'm just gesturing <laughs> like mad, which obviously you can't hear, lovely listener. Um, but it, it was funny because going into this, you know, you assume that what you do is probably the norm, um, but most people don't do that. Most people don't, you know, choreograph gestures going in. Um, and there were several instances like that. Um, so it was really, obviously, really valuable talking to folks and getting a much broader perception about the the diversity of experiences and practices and um, ethical beliefs on what people consider to be okay and not okay in the scene. It was pretty fascinating. And has it changed your own poetry in turn? It's funny. I mean, in a sense, yes. Um, mostly just that I... It's fading away now, which is good. But for a while while I was doing the PhD, I, I couldn't use the word I in poems. I just couldn't write about my own experience. Because anytime I tried writing, it would be like, but who are you? What is I? Is that real? Are you sure? Pronoun <laughs> like, problem. What is the truth here? So I just, I, I really screwed myself over in a big way <laughs> to write about myself. Um but luckily, I think that's fading a little bit. Um, thank goodness. Uh, got got a little bit too in my own head. <laughs> Interesting. And you you mentioned a minute ago about uh, hearing from people about what was considered ethical or right or maybe not so ethical or right within the world of poetry. Mm. Are there any kind of interesting examples that you can think of from that that might be interesting to our listeners? Yeah. I think... I think one of the biggest ones um, was around the idea of emotional authenticity um, because there was a really wide range. So, for example, performing a sad poem on stage, right? There are multiple ways of doing this and intentional or not, right? It might be the case that you get on stage, you're like, I'm going to do this poem. You do it as you're performing it you're thinking about what you're saying, you get really emotional, maybe you get a little bit choked up. Okay. Or maybe you get on stage and you you know that you're going to perform a sad poem, so you put your guard up, mm -hmm. right? And you say, I'm, I'm just going to do this, but I'm not going to emotionally connect. And you do the poem and you just sort of are emotionally distant from it, but you get it out grand. Or maybe, like, third option, and there are more, but, but just for example, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do this poem. I need to, you know, I need to be okay on stage, so I'm going to emotionally separate from it. But I want the audience to emotionally connect to it, which means that they need to think that I'm emotionally connecting to it. So even though I'm okay, I'm going to make myself look like I'm sad. And, quote unquote, you know, fake, fake cry mm. or whatever, sort of... Mm affect an emotional uh, affect that you're not actually feeling right yeah. so there are three different versions and i found that there are really strong reactions to these uh, in varying ways so some people were like the idea that you would make yourself look sad on stage is disgusting like that's just for points making yourself cry for points mm -hmm. and for pity points and that's awful right Whereas other people were like, well, I have to do that because if I actually let myself emotional, get emotional on stage, I will be a wreck and I won't be able to get through this performance. 
but if I distance myself and I just read it cold, then no one will, they'll just think that I don't care. Mm -hmm. So that was one situation where it was so fascinating. Um, and you really saw a range of approaches to spoken word come out again with some people saying, look, it's, you know, it's an art form. It's like acting. Sometimes you have to act, mm -hmm. um, whether it's your poem or not. And you have to sort of amp up that emotion. Um, whereas others were saying, no, you need to be purely present in that moment and only affect an emotional, on, only take on an emotional affect if you're actually feeling it. Um, and again, yeah, I don't, there's no right, there's no wrong. And, and there was a, a wildly <laughs> swinging uh, swathe of opinion around um, what you should or shouldn't do, but also what people do and don't do, which I found fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people being emotionally inauthentic to protect themselves really, um, or not. Mm. So yeah, that, that was one example. And I think one of the most interesting ones for me to look at. It is interesting, isn't it? Like it makes you immediately think, which of those do I do? <laughs> and then you start to second guess yourself. <laughs> yes. immediately. And I think it varies night to night. I, I know at least for me, I don't know about you guys, but I've done both. Yeah. You know, it, it really, there's a range. Yeah, Rebecca, you've come up to also, me once or twice get... and gone, oh, I'm sorry you went through that. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this the audience is You're big know. lying faker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, I'm fine because what but I've been writing flips. about is like years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Which is another interesting question. Do you retire poems, yeah, that you don't connect with anymore? Yeah. Mm. Yes, is the answer from me. <laughs> <laughs> or certainly ones that maybe you don't feel like you would have written it the same way now. Like, or mm. you're like, actually, this is a slightly skewed version of what I meant to say. Mm. And it just isn't authentic. Oh God, it is a question of authenticity. I know, wow. that word wow. will get in your head anymore. and it will yeah, drive you nuts. <laughs> I am so sorry, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get ones with, like, oh gosh, Neil Hilborn is an American poet who went viral yeah. with a poem about OC, I think it's called something like OCG Love Poem. Well, that was like the name of the YouTube, what's it anyway? Um, and in it, he is like very ticky throughout the performance um, and very, very intense. And it's a sad poem about how about this relationship ending partly because of his OCD and then because of his OCD is even harder to let it go. Um, and I saw it when it went viral. And then I saw that he was at the Edinburgh Fringe and had a show and I was really excited to see his full show and I went to see it. But he did that poem towards the end and throughout the preceding however many minutes, he hadn't been particularly ticky. And then he was exactly yeah. as he had been in the video. And that felt, yeah. that hit me very differently all of a sudden. And mm. I don't doubt yeah. that that is how he presents sometimes, but it then felt put on when it hadn't before. And that blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> and it, it's so complicated because, yeah, I looked at that poem for the thesis and I looked at some of the internet comments around it and and mm. sort of compared different videos. And because it is choreographed, all the ticks in every recording of that video, they all happen in the same place. So it's choreographed Ooh, ticking. And you go, is that 
but but again yeah i don't doubt that he presents that way sometimes is it is it a lie is it you know in in that sort of ethically fraught sense is he lying to people or is he someone with a genuine um with genuine ocd who has choreographed a poem to convey some of his experiences in a way that he can control and thus have some power over how he Mm. presents it and there are so many ways of looking at that and it is such a mess um considering it ethically but yeah all of that is wrapped up in that idea of how do you what is real what is not real and how is you know to to sort of quote the emily dickinson um line the tell it poetry is sort of telling truth but telling it slant is inauthenticity sometimes a vehicle to get at authenticity which is then just then your brain just explodes and there's no point (laughs) anymore um but you know if if he were just getting up there and just talking about his ocd and how it's affected his relationships would it be as powerful as Mm. the poem that he choreographed ticks into even though i agree with you hannah it feels a little wrong and so it's it's so complicated, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. Sure. That's half the thesis. Me just saying it's it's really complicated. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, so moving slightly away from questions of authenticity and truth, we now enter the lying section of the interview. No, we don't. Yes, uh, we enter the section where we talk a little bit more broadly and ask you to tell us about uh, spoken word scene up in Edinburgh in Scotland, where you're currently based. Hey, Scotland. It's great up here. Um, we, we got poems. Uh-huh. It's lovely. Um, we have them all year round. Wow. Not just in August, uh, I've heard. No, um, it's, it is really funny, actually, being in Edinburgh because we, you know, during August, because of the Edinburgh Fringe, we get to play host to the entire UK spoken word scene and so much of the world's uh, performance scene, which is absolutely incredible. Um, but we do then get these weird, you know, tumbleweeds through the streets in September and we go, oh, oh, everyone's gone. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think um, the first time I went to Edinburgh and the fringe wasn't on, it felt like looking at your living room after you've taken the Christmas decorations down. You're just yes. like, oh, well, this is strange. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, we, we've got a great scene up here. Um, it, I would imagine like the rest of the UK and and the world, you know, it was hit pretty hard in the Mm. pandemic. We lost a few nights, um, particularly lost a lot of open mics that were the real lifeblood of the scene, um, because obviously, I mean, as as you guys will know, and I'd imagine a lot of your listeners will know, so much of the spoken word scene is held together by people who aren't paid, who are just doing it for the love of it. Um, and that's obviously really hard to to sustain over time. Um, but we, yeah, there's there's so many great nights. Um, and it's, it's not just in Edinburgh, it's in Glasgow, it's across Scotland. There's a really good scene starting up in Aberdeen um, that's been going for a couple of years now and in Dundee and Dumfries, Inverclyde, all over the place. Um, so it's been really, really good to... Um, get back to some live events and um, obviously there was a lot of great great digital work through the pandemic and and really good hybrid events now and and good hybrid festivals in particular which has been really good to to witness and be a part of so yeah good stuff happening here (laughs) amazing and so what can you tell our listeners a little bit about loud poets and i am loud specifically because that's that's what you're really involved in 
I can. Yeah. So we're we're a night that runs um, in Scotland, and we we started up, geez, oh, uh, 2014, so eight eight years ago now, um, as just a just a poetry night, uh, a spoken word night with live music at it, um, and ran for a while in Edinburgh, then added a Glasgow night, ran that for a couple of years, um, and we were doing fringes and touring shows and all of this stuff started filming things and um, just sort of got to the point where we went, we're not just doing poetry, we're doing, you know, film production and all of this stuff around it and all of these different commissions and, and events. So uh, we go by I Am Loud Productions now and, and we're doing a lot of um, festival production in particular, which is great. We've been working a lot with the, the Scottish Storytelling Centre in um, making their programming more accessible by filming all of it and ensuring that it, it goes online. Um, but yeah, a lot of what we do is is putting on shows. So this season we've we've got a bunch of shows in Edinburgh, but we're also working with partners across Scotland uh, to put on shows. Uh, we're bringing folks up from south of the border and elsewhere, trying to really knit together the scenes because um, I think a lot of the times Scotland can feel really isolated uh, from the English scene, from you know the Welsh scene, the Irish and mm. Northern Irish scenes. Um, and so one of our big aims is to sort of, uh, I hate the word network, but I'm going to use it, uh, <laughs> strengthen those networks, you know, but just, I mean, it, it is one of those things, again, coming back to Fringe where, you know, you meet all of these mm -hmm. incredible poets across the UK and you go, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to do more with you. And then due to, you know, lack of funding and travel costs and all of these other things, so often it just, it doesn't pan out, um. So one of the great things about this season is, has been um, we were very lucky to get funding from Creative Scotland so we can actually bring more poets up and, and get them to meet Scottish poets and, and hopefully get more of those relationships going. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been that's been a big joy. <laughs> and we're doing a lot of digital stuff, too, um, throughout the pandemic and, and continuing on with podcasts and workshops and all that goodness. Yeah. And return to form, right? Yeah, return that, to because like I don't know, I'm, I'm having a little form geek out at the moment, and uh, anything formal, I would just want to know more about. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Laurie, I've had a form geek out for the past two years straight. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Oh no, it's it. I joke, but it, it's been a ball. We so we did this return to form project. We piloted it, and then um over the pandemic really focused on it and, and Creative Scotland again um, funded it, which was lovely. We ran two seasons and it basically was focused on different, yeah, different poetic forms in part, in part because we're petty. <laughs> and we, we really wanted to show, look, again, coming back to my thing about spoken word and craft, everyone thinks spoken word poets just get up there and read their diaries. But gosh darn it, we can write sonnets too. <laughs> um, and just sort of having an exploration of form and saying, you know, look, we there are so many incredible spoken word poets across the UK um, who are more than capable of writing in these different forms. Um, and, you know, when we teach poetic form at school, often we're looking at really old examples. Mm. We're looking at Shakespeare um, we're looking at sort of war poetry from the early 1900s and nothing against that. That is great, but it's often not the best way to engage young people in, in poetic form. So we commissioned a bunch of poets across the UK 
to write brand new poetry and form. And we did, you know, univocals, sestinas, sonnets, golden shovels, mm -hmm. uh, eight different, eight different forms, 12 different forms, 13 different, <laughs> 13 different forms. <laughs> <laughs> I am losing track. A bunch <laughs> of poetic forms. Um, and so we, we got all these poems commissioned and I also made workshops for each one of them. Um, so they're, they average about half an hour and I go over examples and I teach the form. Um, give lots of free resources. They're all on YouTube. They're all fully closed captioned. Um, and we, we really just wanted it to serve as a, a free and accessible and fun way for people, even if you've never written a poem in your life, to say, hey, I want to write a Sestina. How do I do that? And help you write mm -hmm. a Sestina. Um, and just have fun with it. Because that's the whole point for me. You know, a lot of people, I think, look at forums and go, oh my gosh, there's so many rules. I don't I don't want to approach that. Um, and I absolutely get that fear. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's also a lot of freedom to be found in restriction, yeah. paradoxically. Um, and often when you're looking at, at a blank page and maybe getting writer's block, one of the best things that you can do is to give yourself a restriction. Um, and form does that, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, Jacqueline Saffer writes really beautifully about, um, about <gasps> form and just yes. the way that it's almost like a if you're thinking about it as as restrictions and you actually want to be thinking about it as like a pop song is a form like or exactly um, you know and and it's sort of after a while you can start to watch your poems sort of write themselves it's it's amazing yeah it's very cool yeah absolutely yeah and Jacqueline Safra her sonnets yeah, I, yeah, she incredible. wrote a book called a hundred lockdown sonnets which is oh it's a hundred lockdown gorgeous. sonnets <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the wit that she brings to them. Um, she writes a sonnet that doesn't feel like a sonnet, which is, I think, one of the biggest compliments you can give. It doesn't just go as you would expect it to go, yeah. which is great. Sure. Amazing. So you are part of Loud Poets Collective, and you do things ranging from, or often you do pieces that have more than one performer in them. Um, so I kind of want to ask you about the writing process mm. in that, but also you then add things that there's often live music accompaniment. There's the music, um, there's the uh, video production side of it. What's it? It looks nice. What's that like? <laughs> I'm envious. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the three of us never help each other with anything. So uh... yeah, no concept. It looks like you're all friends all. and shit. I mean, that would be so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hey, that's just the public perception. We hate each other's guts. Don't you dare edit that out. No. <laughs> um, no, it is genuinely lovely because I think, you know, spoken word and, and all poetry, you know, can be really isolating when it's just you and the page or you and the microphone. It, it can be really hard and... Um, especially when, you know, a live audience is your only feedback and you're that can be really difficult I think and so I feel really lucky to be part of a group um, and I mean probably the most valuable part of that is if I finish a poem I can kind of post it up on our slack thread and be like is this crap uh, is this um, and they're good enough friends that they will tell me if a part of it is crap which is good um, but yeah it it's been really good and I think as well you know especially putting on events and, and doing more now that we're doing, especially more digital production, filming and stuff like that. 
it really does take a team. I mean, this stuff is so hard to do yourself. I see people who've been programming spoken word events for decades, and it's just a slog um, marketing it and, and setting everything up and taking tickets at the door. It, it's really, really difficult. And so I'm so grateful to the people who do that work um, and grateful to have a, a team around me to to help you know support me and and we all help each other you know we've we've all got our little niches um within the group and the different you know things that that we're good at um but yeah the creative collaboration is is one of the most fun parts i think um we haven't i'm trying to think when the last time we wrote a group poem was and i think it was october 2019 we did a Halloween show, which was the weirdest show we have ever done. We all cosplayed as the Scooby-Doo gang. Um, That's and, amazing. Yep. Uh, Kevin McLean was Scooby-Doo wearing this ridiculous like dog outfit. Um, and he ended up performing the entirety of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven dressed as Scooby-Doo. Wow. Which was just I the weirdest. I think Scooby-Doo weird- saying The Raven isn't it actually Raven. Raven? <laughs> Raven? Oh my god. Yeah, he missed a trick there, Laurie. He's gonna be grumpy now. He should have done it all in Scooby's voice. <laughs> That's next Halloween, yeah. right? Um but yeah, we wrote a collaborative poem for that that was just unhinged. It was just nuts. Um but yeah, I mean those are so much fun and, and as well, working with musicians is so great we we've got a few musicians that we work with who we've collaborated with for years and they're really good at working with poets and improvising with them in a way that doesn't feel overpowering um and that doesn't feel distracting because uh, i think you know we get some poets who come into our shows and, and know that they're going to be working with a musician and are like oh yeah that's fine that's old hat i can do that i know what i'm doing yeah and then you get other poets who come in and are terrified and and maybe less interested in doing it in which case they they have the option to opt out obviously um but the musicians are really good at just sort of creating a soundscape behind them Mm. so that it doesn't feel like you know the musician will follow you you don't have to follow the musician which is nice um but yeah i i love working as part of a group it just having that community is really important and i think especially over the past several years you know it, it's been a real a real blessing to have that when did you guys do the vault festival when was that it was vault i think that was 2018. 2018 yeah we did a we did a uk tour um and did we did vault we did um a few performances in newcastle one in hull yeah vault yeah it was that was a lot of fun because i remember i was at one of your vault shows in 2018. <gasps> well, was there, there? Oh, uh, I think you were doing a poem and all the lights <gasps> went out. We had a power cut show, in the middle of, oh, of wow. this. Yes, I was. Uh, that and, was my favorite performance and, moment of my and life. What happened next <laughs> was extraordinary. It was you, right, up on on the stage. I'm it was sure it me. Was. So Katie's up on stage yes. doing this poem, and all the lights and the power go out, and we're underground because it's in the vaults yeah. under Waterloo Station. Mm-hmm. All the lights go out, and we're like, "Oh shit, what's going to happen now?" And all the rest of the loud poets get their phones, put the torch mode on, come out and light Katie, and she carries on and finishes the poem. And that is what it's like being in a poetry collective. Oh, man. It was, I felt like Beyonce. 
It was the biggest <laughs> power trip I've had in my life. Just under oh, this, God. like in this massive cavernous, mm. it felt like a tomb, you yeah. know, literally a vault under the railways. No light, absolutely None. no light. And I'm just at the mic and <laughs> everything goes. And then just to have these, I think, because the whole band and, and the rest of the poets let me. So it was like five people around me with their cell torches on me. And I, I was doing it from memory, and I thank goodness I didn't forget it because I was like, I need to just, you know, when you're really in the flow. Um, obviously, the mic was cut, you know, yeah. so I, I I had to sort of yell the poem, but it was, and then I think right as I ended, the power came back yeah. on, didn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. Oh. It was honestly incredible. Wow. It was an amazing. I'm, I'm glad you were there. That's <laughs> I'm witness so to that amazing moment. <laughs> <laughs> It's utterly surreal. I've never been so grateful for a tech issue. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, I think that is the other part of that conversation about authenticity and about sort of yeah. affecting the audience and emotion is that that is the beauty of spoken word events that you just get those moments, even if nothing yes. that dramatic happens where you're like, this is an experience where everybody in the room is feeling it and is part of it. And we are sharing yeah. this and there is something ephemeral and like, we can't recapture this. This is a moment that we're mm. all experiencing yeah. and all part of, which is just incredible. Uh, but it's Absolutely. lovely when you have very dramatic versions of that. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good point to wrap up the interview. Do you guys? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, yeah, cut the lights, please, guys. <laughs> well, we always finish by asking. We always finish by asking our poets, our guests, uh, if you have a piece of writing advice for our audience. I, w I was thinking about this and actually, because it, it ties into what you're saying about return to form. One of the things that I've been playing with a lot lately, um, especially when I, I have writer's block or I just, you know, can't figure out a subject to write about. I've really been enjoying taking an older poem or like a fragment of something or, or an idea and plugging it into a different poetic form. So taking something that I wrote as a spoken word piece and trying to write it as a 12 line sonnet or taking something that was a haiku and trying to write it as a 49 line sestina mm. or 39 line sestina, <laughs> like, you know, playing with taking the same subject and converting it. Um, cause I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the kind of person where I'll, I'll draft down ideas and I will never touch mm. them again. I'll never finish them. So mm. that my, pro my problem isn't writing, it's editing, it's, it's finishing. <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah, so, so yeah, I suppose, I, I don't know if that's a piece of advice, but, but something fun to try that I've, I've been enjoying lately, uh, experimenting with. Yes. Amazing. And do you have anything you want to plug? Ooh, do I have anything I want to plug? Um, well, if you find yourself up north for the fringe, uh, we Loud Poets is doing a show um, that we are very excited about. So uh, we're doing Best of Fringe again. We'll be at the Storytelling Center. Um, but I suppose, you know, beyond that, talking about the whole UK scene, um, obviously it's, it's still so important that we reach people who are not going to events live and don't feel safe and don't feel comfortable doing so. Um, so everything that we do is filmed and all of our shows we put on Patreon. Um, so if you sign up for a fiver a month, you can see all of our shows that we have ever filmed. 
Um, and we uh, like this season, we have had so much fun booking the lineups and, you know, we've had some incredible poets, Rick Dove, mm. Adelia Day, mm. we were having Jasmine Gardosi in this month. All three um, of whom have guested on Dev Darling's podcast, just saying. <laughs> yep, yep, Jasmine Gardosi of last month's Dead Darling's yes. fame, everyone. Um, but yeah, we've, we've had some absolutely tremendous poets on, so, um, no matter where you are in the UK or the world, um, if you are interested in signing up to our Patreon, you can see lots of shows and lots of poetry goodness. Cool. Um, that, yeah. Amazing. Pluggy plug plug. Pluggy plug plug. I think that's me. <laughs> Brilliant. And before we let you go, would you be up for sharing another poem with our listeners? I absolutely would. So I, I'll I'll share this one. So I am I'm from the States originally, and I haven't been home in in almost three years, over over two and a bit years. And I'm finally getting to go home this month, uh, which should be really lovely and do all the, the cliche Americana things um, that I love. There is much that I reject about my home country, but uh, one can never reject apple pie. So yeah, I figured I'd, this is this is an older piece. This is from um, my book, Homing, um, which I brought out in, in 2015. And it's the, the title poem, so I'll read that. Homing. It was the seabirds that did it. Doing dishes in my Glasgow flat, the radio tuned to home. They run a story on the New Jersey coast. Something about migration, how they tag the birds' spindly legs to find them years on. Through the current, the gull cause and my hands are white and suds, and I return on the bird's harsh throat to sea foam and the spit of the waves, birthing me back to Jersey summer days, our Cape May anniversaries with net bags and beach tags and flip-flops flinging sand onto our calves. My mother taught me to build drip castles, ugly and bobbling, piling onto themselves, dribbling through our fingers. Liquid became solid so fast, the sand baked by the sun, we built homes without thinking about their shapes, without wondering how they'd stand up to the tides. My bleach hair whipped itself into braids in the wind. After, in the bathroom, it took my mother hours of combing to wrench the sea from me. I always fell asleep, heat drunk, in the car on the highway back. Cheap gas stations, heavy Sunday stomach. Back across the border, when the car grunted to a stop, Dad would lift me from the sweat-sticky seat and carry me gentle inside. Sometimes, in the blur between sleeping and wake, I kept my eyes closed, so he'd lift me anyway, lazy, into the house. And sometime, in the blur, I wake, and my hands are white and suds, and my fingers are pruning in the hot, soapy clean, and I am home. And I am home. This month's book is Amnion by Stephanie Sakia, chosen by Laurie. Laurie, why did you choose this book? Why did I choose this book? I chose this book because I think I first heard of it 
from a Red Sky Sessions workshop that Rachel Long was running. Um, she used an extract from the book in one of her workshops and I remember being her, her saying that she was really interested in, the, in this before it came out and excited about it coming out. Um, and I saw a copy of it in a bookshop a couple of months ago and thought, okay, I'll pick that up um, because I like the extract that we looked at and wanted to uh, give it a go. Um, and so I read it maybe a month or a couple of months ago now. Um, I've kind of refreshed my memory by reading through some of it um, more recently. Um, it's a kind of a l quite long book of poetry question mark um mm, yeah it almost reads more like a novella in a lot of ways doesn't it it does it does it's not like lineated into poems it's more one very long piece that's almost memoir um yeah. there are and... bits where it kind of like just it does seem to just change the subject and you go oh and and change format and you go oh okay we're in a different poem now, but it's more like, mm. reminds me of like, have you ever been to... That was a taster for our book club mini episode, which will be out later this month, wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10-ish opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. And also just stuff we think is cool. Rebecca, what have you got for us? I have got Process Productions, which I've already talked about earlier on, but I'm going to do it again because I think it's a really great night. And uh, yeah, I think it's definitely worth going to. So that is at Rule Zero on 28th of June. If you search for Process Productions on Facebook, you will find your way to it. So F Process Productions is the um, uh, sort of film and recording uh, company that Tyrone Lewis runs. And yeah, he started his own night. It's just a lovely vibe. He and Kayla make great hosts. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just a really lovely vibe. Really great poets. It's starting to get some of its own little traditions going, which is really nice to see. It's very kind of audience involved. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful night. Would thoroughly recommend. Uh, so that's at um, Rule Zero in Hackney. Uh, I believe it starts 7.30. Uh, but yeah, look for it on Facebook. This month's oh. guest is Demianta, right? Yes, who I don't think I've seen live, so quite excited about that one. Um, so yeah, and then Spoken Word London is on on the 15th of June, and that's from uh, 7.30 until 10 o'clock at VFD in Dalston. Again, search for them on Facebook, and that is just... I'm also just putting a note there because I need to go there more often. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It's kind of, yeah, it's like my poetry home night, and then I have mm -hmm. just neglected it. I feel like it's... Yeah, it's... it's, it's, the, it's uh, um, kind of the, the home I've run away from and should visit more often. Genesis uh, Poetry Slam is on on the first Thursday of every month, so it'll be on the 7th of July this time. So obviously that's next month, but depending on when we get the next episode up, and we won't be having a notice board next time because it'll be Vogue on anyway. So uh, yeah, just going to flag that because it's a lovely night and yeah, it's great fun. It is great fun. We have a nice time. We do. Uh, so yeah, Laurie, what have you got for us? I've got, throughout June, the Last Word Festival is happening at the Roundhouse in London, um, and that's multiple events, as it always is. Um, I think, I think, it, it definitely wasn't on in 2020 in person, and I don't think most of it was on last year, maybe the, the final, final The final was, because that was the first poetry event back, and I got a ticket through work. Um, oh, just, amazing. I was very pleased with myself uh, for doing that. Um, 
But uh, yeah, cool. that was that was really good. That was the first poetry event that I went to kind of post lockdown. Um, For sure. So that was fantastic. And yeah, it's just it's a, it's a great venue and so and a, and a really good set of events, a really good program. Yeah, there's a really nice program this year, um, as it always is. Um, there's uh, Kareem Parkins Brown's got a show called Choose Me, which looks interesting. Um, there's the Roundhouse Poetry Slam final, as always. There's also a talk by uh, Jack Rook, who we've talked about already on the episode, mm. um, looking at adapting writing for film and TV. And as mentioned already, Jack knows what he's talking about, so that's going to be a good talk. Um, and there's also some screenings of poetry films, which looks interesting as well. Um, you can find out all the details for that on roundhouse.org.uk. I'm assuming, although I don't know, that the poetry takeaway is going to be there. Ooh. I have no idea. Often <laughs> is. Maybe it won't be this year. I don't know. Um, but hey, that is the Roundhouse uh, Last Word Festival. As a little heads up, because we're not having a notice board next month, Bad Betty Press are going to be looking for submissions of full-length poetry collections in July. So not just yet, but next month, um, they're going to be open for submissions of full lengths only. Um, and uh, the details at the minute are being kept very close to Jake and Amy's chest, but uh, they will be going up on their website next month. So I get on bookmarking it now. If you've got that little collection, you've been waiting to share with the world now is a good time to be sprucing it up for that submission next month uh bath mag uh, accepting subs throughout june for their summer issue uh, and the full details for that are at www.bathmag which is b-a-t-h-m-a-g that's double g dot com stroke submissions um, and you can find out all the details there is a really cool magazine um with some great poetry in it every few months i think there's a spring summer and winter but not autumn oh, okay. or something like that um i know because i've been looking at it because i submitted something so Ooh. that's exciting um Ooh. also i don't know if we're allowed to talk about this on the notice board section but I, it's our notice board section so i'm going to talk about it anyway we um, make the rules we make I the rules, rules and we make other things too um and so one thing that we are thinking of making at the moment looking into is doing a little bit of a tour for dead darlings podcast uh next year in 2023 um that's as far as we've got on the planning so far um <laughs> that we are thinking about maybe doing a tour next year yeah. we're not entirely um, sure what on tour would look like maybe we come and ask you like. questions uh mm. maybe we just come and do poems who knows maybe, maybe we, we come and do some poems. sets record some nights record some poems um but basically what we are looking for at the moment are places that we might bring Dead Darlings podcast next year. So if you run a night or an event or are a promoter in any way and you want to book us to come along to your night or to your event and either cover it in person or have us come along and do some sets for you, we would love to come and join you. Um, so you can get in touch with us about that on our social media or on our email, deaddarlingspodcast.gmail.com. Um, if you're emailing us, please use the uh, subject line Dead Darlings Tour. That will help us sift through our emails and would be really helpful. We'd love to come and see your nights and uh, maybe come and share some poems with you uh, next year. So uh, that's as far as we've got on the planning. But uh, if anybody is interested um, in maybe having three, three of us Truggalogs coming up and doing some poems <laughs> for you, we would love to do that. Hannah, what have you got for us? Um, so, 
I have got something which I would be doing myself if I were not ridiculously busy this month, and I'm, so I'm hoping that it comes back. But if you are free this month, Cat um, Francois, the incredible uh, poet, um, performer, and facilitator, um, is running a uh, women's online writing course called How to Write the Shit Away. Um, and it is either. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's Cat Francois, Cat. Uh, K-A-T and Francois, F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. Uh, Kat Francois Poet on Instagram is where I spotted this, but if you go to catfrancois.com forward slash creative wellbeing, there's more information. Um, it's either 40 quid for the whole course or drop-in available, which is presumably what you'd be doing if you're finding out about this now. And or keep your eye on if she runs this again, because I will definitely be grabbing it when I can. Um other things are um, this month Insight, the uh, LGBT plus spoken word night that I run, is doing an in-person one. Uh, it is going to be at the Apple Tree Pub in Ooh. Clerkenwell, and it's going to be Ooh. on Sunday the 26th. Right. Um, we are usually on a Wednesday night, but we're going for sort of two-thirds online, one-third in-person, and the in-person one, the online one's usually on a Wednesday night. Um but um, the in-person ones, we're trying to put them on weekend days to make it that bit easier for people to come further. But we're also trying to broadcast it online. Lineup will be announced very shortly. But um, yeah, it's it's a lovely, warm community event. Um, it is a queer night, so the open mic spots are reserved for us queers. But uh, it is, I consider it actually a great act of allyship for respectful allies to turn up and listen and learn and find out about our stories and stuff because uh, we've we've. Like our regulars include people like Robert Gartnam. Like we are spoiled rotten. It's a really lovely night. Um, just turn up. It'll be lovely. That is going to be on between twelve and four on a Sunday, um, at at this the Apple Tree, which is a lovely, lovely pub sort of around the back of Farringdon Station. Um, and yes, more details. TBC slash uh, put out over dead darlings at some point. The other. Th- Thing I wanted to shout about was um, someone who I've met via Insight is uh, the lovely, wonderful poet Ron McIntyre, who is uh, they have put together a Facebook group for specifically poetry events that are online, um, because they are someone who's seen expanded dramatically, um, they, they have some mobility stuff and their, their, their ability to see and get to stuff obviously expanded dramatically when things went online and a lot of nights are maintaining at least an element of hybridness um, and they are doing an incredible job of documenting and sorting and sharing where all the events are so on Facebook that is uh, it is Poetry Poetry Plus Events Online is the name of the Facebook group but also they've got a tiny URL if you need that for uh, tinyurl.com forward slash online poetry and they are basically compiling <laughs> so if you go a la the fringe if you go it's a tuesday i'm bored what's on um you can very likely find something that you would not have gone to otherwise and check it out amazing that's a great resource in a moment we're going to have a poem from jake wild hall to play us out but before we do that is there anything you guys want to plug Sure, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet, which is L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S Poet, or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves, M-R-L-E-A-V-E-S. 
uh, my book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, which is laurieeves.com, and stream the audio wherever you stream audio. Uh-huh. Hannah? And I am Hannah Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. It means smart ass in Yiddish. And you can find me under that name on all all the things, barely on TikTok, but otherwise all the things. And at hannahutzpah.com, you can get hold of my book, Permeable, published by Burning Eye Books. Every, every online sale is an absolute treat. It makes me very happy every single time. Not least because it means I have to leave the house to go to the post office. Yay! I work from home. Please, please give Hannah walkies and treat yourself via the medium of a book. <laughs> and and I also host Insight, which you can find at Insight Poetry on Facebook and uh, also have a mailing list if you would like the Zoom link dropped into your email every single time so you don't have to sign up to get hold of it. Amazing. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok as at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Instagram as at any name but Becky, uh, and my website is rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, uh, and on Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please do remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, particularly Apple Podcasts, I believe is helpful, and to help us spread the word. Um, before we share Jake Wildhall poem with you i just want to thank him for letting us showcase his work uh thank you to my co-hosts laurie and hannah to texas radio for our theme tune and to you guys for listening poem 22 i sweep two breaths under my lungs keep them there for when i am better prepared Praise is a thing we all want but don't know how to receive. Have you ever watched a room leave you? Everything you have ready caught inside yourself. I have been living inside myself. I have been living inside. I have not been letting myself live. Sometimes the train you are on swallows you. Sometimes the things you have achieved swallow you. Sometimes... The sky is not a metaphor, is not a thing breaking the night. Sometimes it is just the thing you are falling through. You ever felt everything holding you back snap? You ever realise you are still a you you loved once, you have loved yourself once? That is the you you are. There is a way out of every stomach. There is a safe way down from the sky, ask the God you pray to. If you don't pray, ask the rain, ask the trees, ask invention, ask me. Mm-hmm.